Okay, we're going to get started with the um, the remaining portion of our morning, and as people come in, they can join us. Um, thank you guys again for being here this morning. We are so grateful to all of you for your time, um, but more importantly, the ministry that you're doing. Thank you for what you represent and the families that you're working with. My name is Meg DeHaven, um, and I'm from Bethany EPC, right outside of Philadelphia. Um, I've been serving there for almost 11 years in youth ministry. Um, I took on children's ministry a few years ago as well, um, and have recently um, brought on a children's director, so I'm more back on the youth ministry side while overseeing some of kids' ministry. Um, it's our hope this morning that through the three presentations on Unstoppable Ministry, that you will see the holistic perspective um, of needing unstoppable partnerships in order to have unstoppable youth workers so that we can have unstoppable youth. Um, so it's not coincidence this morning um, that I'll be speaking on unstoppable youth. Uh, when we as a team gathered together to discuss how we would lay out the morning, uh, it became apparent uh, in some ways, unfortunately apparent that I would be speaking on the unstoppable youth. Um, and that was in part because uh, I have come out of a really difficult season of ministry uh, over the last year. Um, to give you some context, last year, uh, my husband who works with me, he does IT and youth, um, we were actually very much looking forward to GA last year because we had had a year um, of really difficult things happening within uh, the ministry at our church. Uh, some of those things were that our senior pastor uh, had moved on from our church. We had a really great relationship with him. Um, he actually moved up into administrative role with the EPC, so it was a really positive thing, but it was difficult for us on staff. Um, shortly after that, um, one of the parents of two of our students passed away from cancer, and so that was something that we had to walk through together as a ministry. Um, that was then followed um, by a very serious prison term for one of our students who we had been working with. Um, he was in prison for a home invasion, and so that was a really difficult experience for us to walk alongside with him. And then shortly before we came to GA, we had to say goodbye to one of our students who had been in foster care because he had been rescued out of a house of horrors, which exposed us to a level of evil that we really had never seen or really dared to think about uh, prior. And so in our preparation for GA last year, we were relieved to be um, coming here to be immersed in a community of believers and people who understand ministry and the work that ministry is. Um, and so as we were packing our bags, my husband and I were like, oh, I'm just kind of glad, like, maybe this will mark the end of that season and we can step into the new season, whatever that is. And I said, you know, the only thing I don't think I could handle is if one of our students died. I said, we've done it all and that would just top it off. So last year, to this day, I spoke um, at General Assembly, and when I left, we received a phone call that one of our seventh grade girls had passed away. And so I said to my husband, well, there it is. <laughs> the one thing left on my list of things that I didn't want to have happen has happened. Um, what are we going to do? How are we going to work through this? How are we going to walk? our youth group through it. Um, and to make matters worse, worse, the child who died, her mother was the one who had passed away. 
Um, so her mom had died on the first day of school, and this was the last day of school, and she passed away at a pool party um, in our community. And so we began to wrestle with, you know, this hopefulness that we had stepping into the next season, only to realize that that season was actually continuing. Um, and so, um, so over the course of that year, um, we found it appropriate for um, me to be able to speak this morning about the unstoppable youth. Um, because by the grace of God, I think that's what we've seen and we've experienced. Um, and so I am really grateful uh, for those experiences that have equipped me for this moment uh, to be present with you. And hopefully those things will speak to your heart and the ministry that you're doing within your context. Um, so yeah, so there's, there's a little backstory um, where we're coming from this morning. So after that year of ministry, it began a journey that I would say was painfully beautiful um, that brought us to a place of recognizing the redemptive power of Christ um, and how he reveals himself to students. Um, one thing that became increasingly obvious as we worked through these different traumas and experiences over the course of the year though, was that students are stopped by a number of things. Most of them circumstantial. Some of them obvious traumas like death and cancer, the loss of a parent, but our students are also stopped by things that happen every single day. High school breakups, friends that are neglecting them, isolating them or leaving them. Uh, they're also affected by the traumas that we don't know about, the things that are happening at home behind closed doors. There's abuse, um, there's neglect, all of those things. And so the reality is while some of these more obvious traumas call us into an obvious place of supporting our students, there are always things that are going to be attempting to stop our students uh, in the midst of their faith journey. And so the question is what are we going to do to equip them for those crossroads when they can choose to either walk away from Christ or walk towards him. Um, and so that's today my hope is to communicate with you um, and discuss with you some of, some of those things that we can do. So in my experience, I have observed students and their ability or inability to become or be unstoppable. I found three components um, to helping a student overcome trauma or challenges. And here are the three components that I think are necessary for a student to have in order to be unstoppable. Number one, an identity that's rooted in Jesus Christ. Number one. Number two, a cultivated sense of resiliency. And number three, those two things partnered together that are lived out in the context of community. When these three factors are present in a student's life, I believe they are set up for the best potential to have success in continuing on to pursue Jesus in spite of their circumstances. Now, I don't believe for one second any of those things are something you don't know. I think they're things that in youth ministry are probably apparent to us and obvious. Um, but today I do want to challenge us to evaluate our methods and approaches and how we work with students in order that we might further um, their ability to be grounded in their identity in Christ, to help them develop habits of resiliency, all while engaged in the context of community. Some ways that we at Bethany have been intentional in developing these factors in our youth ministry are through a three-step mission and process um, that actually has kind of been revealed to us over the years that now we're starting to kind of claim and understand and recognize um, and, and add more formally to our ministry approach. We believe 
that it is essential for a student to feel like they belong in order to believe so that we can build their faith in Jesus Christ. So belong, believe, and build. Those are the three basic foundational pieces. The belong portion speaks to the necessity of community. Let's be honest, who doesn't want to belong? Uh, even as adults, that is something that we seek after, but we see it in a really raw, vulnerable way when it comes to students. This is a top priority for us in helping students know that they are wanted, that they are valued, and that they are important. And we believe that when we help a student to feel and know those things, we're pointing them to the fact that Christ wants them, values them, and thinks that they're important. And so it's a Christ-centered approach to helping a student sense that they belong um, within your church walls and within your youth ministry and your youth group. We want to emulate Christ in this fashion so that we develop safe spaces for students in which they can exist so that then they can begin to interact with the information about the truth of the gospel. When a student feels safe, they're much more likely to be receptive to the information that we are sharing with them, the truth, the life-changing, transformational truth of Jesus Christ. And so that leads us to the believe portion. Now, how we present that might be a little bit different for each of us in our own context, um, but I believe it's essential. Belief, just as Andy had said and Andrew had talked about, that's the transformation. When a student accepts Jesus Christ, that's really the core um, of what we're aiming for. And then finally, that's where a student's identity in Jesus Christ will begin, and that's where we can build on that foundation. And so we can speak into that, and we can walk alongside of a student we're able to build them up as we impact them through our relationship um, and through interaction with them. And I believe that this building part is where resiliency comes in. That's when they learn the building blocks of faith and how they become resilient in these traumas and difficult circumstances. According to the American Psychological Association, resilience is the process of adapting well in the face of adversity, trauma, tragedy, threats, or even significant sources of stress. There's a book called Resilience, not the one that <laughs> you mentioned, another one. Um, Resilience, the science of mastering life's greatest challenges. They identify six strategies for developing resilience, which are, one, learning how to regulate your emotions. Two, adopting a positive but realistic outlook. Three, becoming physically fit. Four, accepting challenges. Five, maintaining a close and supportive social network. And six, observing and imitating resilient role models. Oddly enough, you can apply almost those six core objectives to our youth ministry models that we use today in America. If you have ever worked with youth, you know about regulating emotions, <laughs> um, probably on a weekly, if not daily basis. Um, and that's something that we seek to do. We work through emotions with our students. We're often helping students to recognizing reality versus their perceived realities, right? Youth are always perceiving the world, usually in an exaggerated form. And so part of our job as youth ministers and youth workers is to help them understand the true realities that exist around them. We're always planning games that usually get them physically active. So that's applicable too to the way that we do youth ministry. 
More often than not, we're figuring out ways to grow our students by challenging them in ways that will open doors for them to both fail and succeed, as I believe both are necessary uh, for a student to grow. We're all about the close and supportive social networks. That's the foundation of the community that exists in our church. And then we strive to develop leadership teams that are worth emulating, right? We strive to have teams of volunteers that can be with our students so that those students know what it is and what it looks like to live like Christ. So while the world might not recognize it, we know that Jesus has set us up for resiliency. These are things that are biblically based as Jesus immersed himself in relationship that was a life alongside of people to teach them the skill sets that they needed to be resilient to the circumstances that came along. So I'm excited that we as youth leaders have the opportunity to cultivate a biblically centered, Jesus-focused approach to life that will help our students to ultimately become unstoppable. I want to challenge you to think about the mission that you have, the purpose that you have in your ministry, because when it becomes a part of who you are and it's instinctive, your response or mode of being um, able to respond in the midst of tragedy occurs much more naturally and readily. Um, so you want to really familiarize yourself and know inside and out what it is that you are doing with your students. So for us, it's the belong, the believe, the build. For you, it might be something different, but know it. Um, because when we know it, it's a part of every facet of our life. And so students pick up on that and they see it and then they emulate that. And it helps them to become unstoppable in their relationship with Christ. All this to say, I do want to remind us that our goal is not to create success stories. Our goal is to be faithful to Christ. In order to magnify him and through our ministries, we might utilize these types of tools so that our students would know him more. But if and when a student is stopped, remember and know that God is still sovereign. And so our job is to continue to be faithful to Christ so that that student might see and know that. When we came home from General Assembly last year, we flew through the night and got home. Uh, the next morning, we were asked to meet the remaining the father and another daughter who were still there at the high school. So my husband and I went to the school, and we showed up a little bit early, and there was an enormous counseling team um, who we thought was there to meet with the father and daughter. And when we got there, we realized that everyone who was at the pool party was being brought to the school um, for grief counseling in light of the events of the night before. When we walked in, the team was kind of milling around a room, setting up donuts, and the superintendent came in and he said, you know, who are you? And we explained that the father, Mr. Murtha, had asked us to be there. And he said, I want everyone to stop. I said, okay. So the whole team of counselors stopped and he said, we need to be honest, we don't know what to do. What would you do? And I looked at my husband and I was like, oh boy. Um, and he said, minus the Jesus part. I said, well, can't really minus the Jesus part, but here's how I think we would go about it. And with that, about 40 girls who had been at the pool party started to come in with their parents. And that school district, it's a public school setting, basically turned that time over to us to partner with their counseling team, to walk with their students uh, through this extreme time of trauma. 
And so thinking on our feet, the only training we had last year was grief training. Um, God equipped us for that. I know that full well. Um, and so we started to walk through, you know, how to respond to this trauma. And at the end of that time that we spent with them that morning, the superintendent said, um, is there anything else you would like to share with them? And I said, would it be okay with you to invite everyone to our church tonight? It's youth group. Obviously, we're not running youth group, but can they come? And he said, absolutely. So we turned to the room and we said, hey, we don't really know what we're doing tonight, but you're all invited. Like, come and just be with us so we can be with you and let's, let's grieve together. That night, about 300 kids and parents showed up to our youth room. Um, and I have to say, it was the most beautiful, most difficult experience of my youth ministry uh, career. Um, but God equipped us for that moment because we were immersed in a community. Our church community understood that our mission was to help people feel like they belong so that they could believe in order to build them up in their faith. And so even in that brief moment, in those two and a half hours that we had with that larger community, our students who were immersed in that um, approach were able to apply that immediately in the midst of their own grief. Um, they became unstoppable, in my opinion, in that moment because they understood the value of belonging in order to believe so that they could build the relationship with Christ. So a few months later down the road, a number of those students started to come to our youth group intermittently because of the student who had passed away. And in January, I posed a question um, to our youth group one night and I said, do you believe that God is fighting for you? And if so, how do you know? And you see, over the last several months, our students obviously have been struggling with, you know, death and dying young and why does God allow these things to happen? And, but they were coming together week after week to ask those hard questions. Um, and on that night, when I asked that question, do you believe God is fighting for you? And if so, how do you know? One of the students who had started coming to our church after Leah had passed away, she raised her hand and she said, I know that God's fighting for me. I said, okay, how do you know that? She said, if Leah hadn't have died, I never would have known Jesus Christ. And I said, that in and of itself was a redemptive moment that we saw the power of Christ through really difficult circumstances. And when an eighth grade girl gets that, you see the value and power that Christ has in and through the ministry that you're doing. Um, and not because of us, but because of what he's doing around us and in and through those difficult circumstances. It was a powerful, beautiful, incredible experience. Um, and again, I wish that um, on none of you, you know, I never hoped that a student would die, but the beauty of Christ, the God that we serve is that he is a redemptive God and he will redeem those circumstances, not always on earth, but when you get a glimpse, I think it's important to recognize it and to know it um, and to see Christ for who he is in those moments. Now on the flip side, I want to share a failed story with you. Um, a story that um, is not something that I love to talk about because it's not working. May, March 17th of 2012, uh, we had a student who was a Sudanese Muslim refugee who had been coming to our church for a few months. Unbeknownst to his parents, um, for fear of getting kicked out of his home, he was attending our church. He had started to come to, uh, to us through youth group and then on his own accord started to come to our Sunday morning services. 
asking really great questions about Jesus, accepted the Lord, became baptized. Um, and it was an incredible kind of transformation story that we would often point to and be like, that's it. Like, that's how this stuff happens. Fast forward um, to about two years ago, and I received a phone call. And over the time since then, that student was intermittently involved with youth group, would come and then step away for a bit. But you know, going back on what Andrew spoke about earlier, or Andy spoke about earlier, you know, without parents supporting a student, you tend to see a student kind of fluctuate in their faith and step in and step out. And so that's what we saw with Mo. I got a phone call one night from his sister. And she said, Mo's in prison. And I said, okay. I said, well, what, what's going on? She said, a home invasion. And I thought, it's a little bit more serious than what I thought she might say. So with that, I called one of my unstoppable support systems, um, who's our elder at our church. And I said, I have a student who's uh, in prison. And I explained, and she said, this is pretty serious. I said, okay, so what do we do? So she had a little bit of a plan, and so we started communicating. Um, and so it became a year of my husband and I learning prison systems. Um, we hadn't done that before, and going into the Philadelphia prison system to visit with this young man, working with his family, who were Sudanese Muslim refugees. Um, and so it quickly became, again, another redemptive experience where I thought, wow, God is really using this to open doors that we never would have had open to us um, had we not been able to pursue this. So again, applying the idea of belonging and helping his family like they, to feel like they belong in hopes that maybe the door would open for them to believe. About a year after he was put in prison, um, the two gentlemen that he was put into prison with received pretty extreme sentences, um, 15 to 25 years. And so we thought, okay, this is what ministry is going to look like. Um, we went to court that day with a number of people from our church, about 17 of us, uh, to support him. And the judge looked at us and gave him time served and let him walk. It was a miracle. It was an absolute miracle. And very few times in life do you sit there and see a miracle happening before your eyes. And I thought, this is it. This is the redemptive story that we've been waiting for so that this young man will know Christ through and through. A few weeks ago, Mo was put back in prison. And he's serving time for another crime committed. Um, and you know we're wrestling with that. And we went to visit him the other day. And when my husband and I showed up, Mo was sitting, I had them sitting at tables, and so you are processed, and we went in. And he said, you're all I have left. And I said, okay. I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, no one in my family will speak to me, and you're all I got. And I said, okay. I said, why do you think that is? And he said, kind of tired of the God stuff. And I said, it's the God stuff that's keeping me here, Mo. And he said, I know. <laughs> now, you see, Mo had identified with the Muslim community in prison prior because it's a safer community to identify with. He had pretty much rejected his faith, stepped away from it. Um, but this time around, I'm seeing some cracks in the facade or in you know, who Mo has built himself up to be. And everything in him hates that maybe God is what's actually causing him to come back to this community where he belongs. And it's not that he belongs to me or to my husband or to our family or to our church. It's that he belongs to Christ. And I believe that God's pursuing him 
in ways that I don't like, <laughs> in ways that Mo doesn't like. Um, but God is bigger than us and bigger than our understanding. And so my husband had some really hard conversations with him that night. And he was frustrated, and I think Mo was angry. Um, and he called me two days ago. It was his 21st birthday. And I said, happy birthday. And he laughed because he's in prison and it's not super happy. Um, and he said, can I ask you something? And I said, sure, what's up? He said, can you pray for me? I said, yep. I said, you know, Mo, we actually haven't stopped praying for you. And I share this because it's not the success story that I want to share, right? Like, God has redeemed him time and time again, and he keeps turning back. And I think, come on, we're, we're barely past, like, the belong stage, right? I'm like, where's the belief part going to happen? But God, I believe, is using it to teach me that my job is to be faithful in that process and not to uh, manufacture Christians who are coming out of our church. But my job is to be faithful to Christ and to pursue kids like he pursues us in the midst of hardship and in the midst of trauma. And so, you know, I have this one experience where we have a student who sees death and understands that God is pursuing her. And we have a student who is running away from God time and time again, who I can't help but say, God is calling you, just answer. This doesn't have to be this way. But my job is not to explain the obvious. My job is to love them like Christ would love them, to help them feel like they belong so that they can believe in order to build them up in their faith. So this morning, as I close, there's a scripture that I want to share with you, and it's one that has been consistently on my heart since I started youth ministry. And I think it's one that we all know, but it's James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Guys, we don't always get it right. <laughs> our strategies don't always work, although well-intentioned. But our first priority is to be faithful to Christ in all that we do, in all that we say, in all that we think. So I leave you with this. Let us invite students into community so that they will know that they belong, not to us, but to Christ. Let us introduce and point students to Christ so that they will believe in him, leading them to be firmly rooted in their identity in Jesus Christ himself. And lastly, let us build upon that foundation developing followers of Christ, resilient to the pressures and hardships of the world, so that they might be a light in the dark world.